God is with you. Our scripture reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 19, verses 15 through 26. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or else you will be consumed in the punishment of the city. But Lot lingered. So the men seized Lot and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, God being merciful to him, and they brought Lot out and left him outside the city. When they had brought them outside, they said, Flee for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Flee to the hills or else you will be consumed. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, your servant has found favor with you and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot flee to the hills, for fear the the disaster will overtake me and I die. Look, that city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there, and my life will be saved. Then the man said to Lot, Very well, I grant you this favor too, and will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then God rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the heaven, and God overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Hear this ancient witness from yesterday. Slow to walk up here this morning. Always hope someone else is around to preach on Sodom and Gomorrah. But that's just not the case. So, this is a long and a difficult and a violent story that we have for us today. So let's take a breath together. And let's get to work unpacking it. Jennifer started with a reading from Genesis 19. But the story really begins in Genesis 18. So I'm going to take us back. Genesis 18 were three men who the text repeatedly calls men and sometimes calls them the Lord. And I'm just going to put a little pin in this for us to unpack one day because it's really confusing when we say this is what a man said and this is what the Lord said and we say that they're the same thing. That just really confuses me. And so we're going to put a pin in this to come back to one day. But we're going to stay on our way to Sodom and Gomorrah. Today we're going to focus our story at the beginning, at the entrance of Abraham's tent where these three men come up, and Abraham is resting at the entrance, and Abraham and Sarah are camped out in Mamre, which is up in the mountains of Judea, overlooking the valley, Sodom and Gomorrah in the valley. And so they're up in the mountains, they're overlooking it. Abraham's chilling at the front of his tent, and these three men come up. And at the sight of them, the text says that Abraham bows down, he puts himself prostrate on the ground, and then starts to move. He gets him the best curds, milk, his best lamb. He calls Sarah. He's like, hey, we need the best bread we've got. It's probably less like this or like this and more like this. Sarah, we need the best bread we've got. 
and they really turn out that Judean hospitality. They show up in a really, really almost over-the-top hospitable way. And so Abraham has got these men in his tent, and he has welcomed them in, and then they say to him, just kind of offhandedly, by the way, we're on our way to Sodom and Gomorrah. We've heard some things about what's going on, and we're going to check it out. We're going to see what judgment needs to be rained down on these cities for what their men say is their terrible and grievous sin. And Abraham, in this moment, almost abruptly in our text, sees them off and then immediately begins negotiations with God. Abraham is the father of all nations, and he's got a nephew down in Sodom and Gomorrah where these men are headed off to rain judgment. And so he begins negotiations with God, and he's like, okay, God, but all right, so they say that things are not going well in Sodom and Gomorrah, but what if there's just 50 people, 50 righteous people? Wouldn't you want to save the city for 50 righteous people? Don't you want to be known as the good God? And God's like, okay, okay, okay. I love this about our Old Testament where we have this negotiation with God often. Okay, okay, okay. You're right, Abraham. I will save it for 50 people. And then Abraham's like, okay, but what if it's just five less and it's 45 folk? 45 good people, I mean, that's worth saving. And God's like, okay, 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 I'll save it for 45. And then Abraham just keeps going. He's like 30, 20, 10, 10 people. Surely you can find 10 righteous people and save the cities. And God agrees, if we find 10 righteous people, we will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So that's where we leave off in chapter 18. And in chapter 19, we're right at the gates of Sodom. And Lot's at the gate, and he's waiting for these men Abraham obviously has called ahead, hey, they're coming to judge some folk. You might want to get your stuff together. So Lot's at the gate, ready for hospitality. He's ready again to lay out the Judean hospitality to these men. And so he invites them to his house. He's like, come, have something to drink, have something to eat at my house. And these men, in a really strange way, say, no, we want to sleep in the city square. Always sticks out to me as a really odd thing that someone would do because it would be so against the Judean hospitality. No, we're going to sleep in the city square. And Lot's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. So why don't you just come home with me? I'll wash your feet. I'll give you food, water, and bread. And so he convinces them. But they spent some time out at the gate talking. Lot has spent some time keeping them out of the city square. And so, as you can imagine what happened in a small, dusty valley town, I think similar to where I grew up, the arrival of these men and their intent to judge hits the gossip lines. It doesn't take long for everyone to know that there are people who don't belong in the city who are there to judge. Can you believe these men just showed up to judge? And the text tells us that before the men lay down their heads, the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, both young and old, have surrounded Lot's house and are demanding the men be brought out so they might know them. <sighs> Here's where we get into our first kind of dicey piece of this text. As we know, this no is often interpreted as being no sexually. Adam knew Eve, these men want to know these visitors. Maybe, maybe there is an ancient history 
of same-sex gang rape being a form of torture. That is something that we know. So, I mean, maybe. And the word know that is used in this text, the Hebrew word know, is also to know, to see, to perceive. Let us see these men who have come to destroy us, who have come to wreak havoc on the lives of myself and my families and my children. So I don't think we can jump to conclusions here, which is what Lot seems to do. And he's like, you want to know someone? Here's my daughters. Why is that so often the okay sacrifice? So we can't jump to conclusions here about what it means to know in this text. And in either case, luckily for everyone, for Lot, and especially for his daughters, this isn't what the men are seeking, and they say so. They refuse the daughters, and they say, we want to know, we need to see these men who have come, who are not part of our community, and have come to judge. The text says, play the judge. They have come to play the judge. Send them out. And as we see often in upset crowds, the men get pretty mob-like in their behavior. Very mob-like. And we know that they try to break down the door, but they don't break down the door, and Lot and his friends close the door, and the angels or the men inside start to tell Lot, okay, get your people together. Get your crew together. And Lot and those people can't believe that God will actually destroy the city, this place that they have come to call home. And so it takes a lot of convincing in our text to get Lot to move And even then, he doesn't want to go all the way to the hills. He only wants to go to Zoar. He's like, can I just go a little little bit down the road? I just, my entire life is here. The text picks up, and there's an urgency to move, to run, to get away. Put distance between yourself and this city of sinners. We read chapter 19, verses 22 through 26. Hurry, escape. There's nothing I can do while you're here, Lot. And when Lot had left... The Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire out of the heavens. And God overthrew the cities and all the plains and all the inhabitants and everything that grew out of the ground. God destroyed it all. But Lot's wife behind him looked back. She became a pillar of salt. (sighs) I need another breath. What a story. What a story. Everyone in this room has been hurt by this story, whether we realize it or not. It's a Genesis text, which just gives it that authority of being one of those foundational beginning texts that really sets the stage for how we exist together, how we understand God. It's a story and a teaching that we find in not only our Christian traditions, but in Jewish and Islamic traditions. It's a story we've built laws around. It's a story embedded in our culture. Sodom and Gomorrah, a story of destruction that continues to destroy. A story that's wreaked havoc in my life. Maybe it's torn some holes in yours. And we get so stuck, don't we? I couldn't even have Jennifer read the text that we fight about. 
The men in the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, where are the men? Bring them out to us that we might know them. I couldn't even have Jennifer read it. You want to know why? Because I am tired of it. That is the truth. I'm laying my cards out for you this morning. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the debate of this text. And I'm not saying that it's not useful and it's not important and it's not valid because it is. It is. And I'm still tired of it. We can debate all day, and I'm happy to do that. My office is always open. We can debate how there are references across our Christian scriptures that interpret the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah as sins of oppressing marginalized groups, sins of murder, sins of theft. We can talk about Islamic and Jewish and Christian texts that link the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah to inhospitality, arrogance, violence. We can talk about how the interpretations of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah as same-sex didn't even come in until the 5th century when it was politically advantageous for the people in charge. We can talk about that. We can talk about how modern biblical scholars have denounced same-sex relations as the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. We can talk about it, and I'm happy to talk about it. But don't we ever get tired of debating who God's going to destroy? Don't we get tired of doing that? I mean, that's what it comes down to. We're trying to destroy what people group, what difference, what sin God is willing to wipe from the face of the earth. I'm exhausted on that debate. What I want to know, what I'm interested in unpacking in this text is, where the hell is God in the first place? Where is God? Y'all know me. Y'all know when I bring you a text, I'm going to be like, where is God in this? This is my question today. Where is God? Not where people say God is, not where traditions say God is. Where is God based on what we know of God in our own lived experience of grace and love and inclusion and community? Where is that God in this text? Is God destroying cities, perpetuating violence? raining down sulfur and fire? Never for me. When we twist and we reduce God to the creator of disaster, and to the destroyer, and to a hothead who storms into a city to get rid of the gays, that should throw up a lot of red flags for us. When God feels a little bit too much like a Marvel villain, we probably haven't found God yet in the text. So where is God in our story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Where do we see and recognize the work of God? Well, she doesn't really even have a name in our text. And in our entire Bible, she gets one little line, one little story, but oh, what a story. What a story. In the midst of them all, in the midst of destruction and oppression, only she turned around. Only 
she was willing to see something different, to look around and see humanity. Only she offers us a glimpse of what it means to have a different theology, a different belief of who God is. A God who is the creator that doesn't have to destroy their creation to seek justice. Only she's willing to see the beloved community being ruptured and to turn and offer herself up to grieve it. And in doing so, Lot's wife became a pillar of salt. She she became a preservative. It's in acts like this that humanity is preserved. It's in our seeing one another that we can see God in the story. Millennia after Lot's wife, Jesus will come and tell us to be the salt of the earth. I think she gives us a little hint about what that looks like. May it be so, church.